Podcast ain't played nobody. Bill and Godfrey here. Uh, Godfrey, we we got called out this week. We did uh, not not by Georgia podcasters, but by somebody who remembers when you said that we were trying to keep our podcast PG, uh, so that it could be listened to in the car, maybe with kids present. Uh, and one of us, I'm not going to say which, uh, may have gone into PG-13 range last week. Well, given the last week, this we, we may have to put the earmuff warning on for various segments that are going to go, <laughs> that are going to go like, wouldn't pass the the French censorship board, okay? This thing's gonna well, we'll try to warn your uh, listeners ahead of time. We'll, we'll drop a warning there. Bill, I've got an admission and maybe a question for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, are you are you a, a hoarder? Do you are, are you a pack rat? I think the stereotype of someone who would work in stats analysis is that you have like a bunch of books and papers sitting around. Is that the case? Uh, I try not with the papers, but yeah, I do have a lot of books. Yes. Okay. Um, do uh, uh, I feel bad admitting this to Bill because it almost flies in the face of what he does. But anyway, uh, so I'm in the middle of a move right now. My wife and I are renovating our house. Um, it, it is a everything must go situation because we're making our house bigger, but the place we're living at is about half of the size of our old house. And so um, I don't really have an office right now. Um, it's one of the reasons we're recording the shows on Wednesday. So I've got to fit it into a very strange life schedule for a couple months. I'm coming across boxes in my office. Um, I, I have a decent amount of detritus. I try and keep it down. I, I've got a lot of books, and I'm okay with books. We have bookshelves. You put books on bookshelves. Ah, I have a collection of Phil Steele annuals that, <laughs> for whatever part of me knows better, I cannot part with. That's not even the worst part of this, but. The worst part, Bill, is that from about 2006 to 2013 or 12, if you open any of the annuals, I have handwritten the final score and the line in those empty boxes. Really? For every, excuse me, every single team. Wow. This is... Not really characteristic of my kind of behavior. I was the kid who never <laughs> finished assignments in school. Like, I was the kid who, you know, was flighty and impulsive, but, like, never, like, measured out and, and was, like, I was just not that kid. I was bad in math class, like, undisciplined. And for whatever reason, it became a fetish for a while when I wasn't working in college football. Um, and now, keep in mind, in my defense, 2006 is a different time, all right? Crazy strange wonderful things are happening but one of those that isn't happening is like the football study hall culture and what you do is like not really out there advanced like like advanced stats are not as as uh prevalent and so phil still used to be the bible phil still i mean i think a lot of the ideas that i pursued started with an idea of his because okay. he was the i mean he both in his general weirdness and some of the ideas he tried to pursue. I mean, he was the closest thing to a Bill James that college football had in like the 90s and really early 2000s. This will make you feel better, Godfrey. I uh, probably, I don't know, 2009-ish, maybe 2010-ish, I actually back-ordered the Phil Steeles I didn't have. So I have in my living room 
because I still call on them occasionally for whatever recruiting rankings or whatever depth chart, just quick depth charts. Okay, who, who was so on you this do team. you do actually use them? I occasionally, not not very frequently, but occasionally uh, I will break them out, and they are in uh, my living room. I'm uh, like we, my wife and I each have like a shelf of stuff in our living room, and it takes up quite a bit of space in my shelf. So okay. do not feel bad. Now, you know, if we're talking about like old media guides, that's a different story. Do I need these Phil Steels? No, I don't. I do not. But you might. You might. But well, the, yes, I, the, <laughs> I the will. La- the laziness that permeates SB Nation is that if, if Bill has it or if Bill needs it, well, we have Bill. Right? Yeah. I have a, a little behind the scenes here. I, I'll bother Bill at any hour of the day from any location in the world trying to come up with a stat. Now, does it, ex- it, does it exist somewhere that I could probably Google? Maybe. Okay. But I have a cool robot sidekick and you don't. And uh, I will only. There are certain hours where you will not get a response until four a.m. the next day. But I am having a tough time getting rid of these Phil Steels. If you're looking for you know somebody to empower you to throw Phil Steels away, you will not get it on this podcast. All right, we're just going to put it to the mercy of the crowd. Um, uh, kill Phil hashtag or or save Phil. I don't <laughs> have anything witty. Um, I think the show would be wittier if we recorded it later in the day, but um, also not as informed. Uh, yeah, kill Phil, save Phil. Let me know on Twitter. Um, I don't know why I'll ever need a 2009 Phil Steele with like the, I mean, you know, third and fourth string for the Toledo. Uh, maybe I might. I don't know. You might. But, but, but you might. Don't we? Ha- I mean, don't we kind of sit there and nitpick what Phil does now? I mean, we we rely on your previews. We rely on. You know, for a while there, you and, and Paul Meyerberg definitely lapped and sort of completely separated yourselves from Phil Steele because he had a print deadline, because the the setup of his magazine is so arcane. Like, I don't know. I do love that it is the same setup, though. Like, um, I, the, you know, I can open one from last year. And if I'm looking for a piece of information, I know exactly how and where to get it <laughs> uh, because the layout has never changed uh, and, and that's it's. I mean, it's only slightly changed since like the 1996 edition. It has been remarkably. Uh, he has gotten some mileage out of that, and he has a. You know, I, I don't completely remember what he was doing before uh, this. I think he it was something to do with handicapping, I believe. Uh, but this has made him a lot of money. This gets him on ESPN power to him. Uh, I do like to think that. You know what I've tried to do in a lot of cases is build off of something he did, like his his like. What's a good example? Turnovers equal turnaround. That's something he always brings up. Um, that kind of blew my mind the first time I read it in like I don't know two thousand or ninety nine or something like that. Uh, you know the fact that turnovers were at least partially random, and if you were a little too good one year in the turnovers department, you were probably going to be worse the next, and you were probably going to win a couple, uh, you know, one or two fewer games because of it. That blew my mind. Uh, but when I started playing with this stuff myself, I, I used that idea and I tried to apply other, you know, concepts that, you know, from baseball stats or this or that to try mm-hmm. to, you know, dive into not only like fumbles luck, but then like the whole interceptions to pass breakups thing and all that. Like I've, tr- I've taken, I've tried to take that turnovers equal turnaround idea and make it better. But, you know, credit where it's due. He blew my mind. And, and I, you know, a lot of these ideas that I started with or tried to pursue probably came from ideas that he had. So, so, so I'm keeping them. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you need me to drive to Nashville. And take them. 
Well, or just, you know, if I need to talk to your wife or something. No, it's not even that. It's not a space issue. She keeps every, she, she kept a bunch of, uh, uh, September Vogues for years when she was <laughs> studying marketing. Like, I mean, we have a decent shake of crap. I mean, not a ton, but it's, it's, it's not one of those issues. I, I just had a moment with a box about two days ago in the midst of a particular story I've been working on. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, and, and I went over to our house, which is being worked on and had to pull some, some stuff out of the storage. And I was like, why, 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 why tote this crap? Hmm. So, all right. Um, I have been occupied by something we're going to get to in probably the last segment of the show, if only because I don't want it. This is, well, partially a tease to, if you, this is the first time you've ever listened to this and you're coming from maybe, I don't know, an Ole Miss perspective. Um, and you found podcasting play nobody. We're going to make you listen to the whole show or at least scrub to the end of it. Um, but in the vacuum that has occupied my professional life, I have grossly neglected to follow the ticky-tack developments of one Big 12 Conference Football <laughs> Association. So um, since you do most of the work here anyway, I'm going to make you play the reporter as well. Condense and summarize for me what I've missed. If I've missed anything, which as I'm sort of pulling up links this morning and trying to check it out before the show, I don't think I've actually missed anything. No, this is power to the Big 12. You know, I can, you know, I make fun of them a lot, a lot, probably more than any other conference, really, uh, because of their general wishy-washiness and uh, the, their ability to overreact and then overreact the other way and then all, you know, so on and so forth. Um I make fun of them a lot, but there is no question that they're able to get us to talk about Big 12 expansion like once a month, every month, for going on like two years now. Um, so from the no publicity is bad publicity standpoint, power to them for being so good at, at, at making sure that we no, don't ever go too long without talking about Big 12 expansion. The only specific piece of information that you missed if you haven't really been paying attention this week uh, is that Bob Bowlesby, I guess he actually presented it to the conference yesterday, but like two days ago he teased a study um, that they that the Big 12 paid for. Uh, they paid, what's the company's name here? Uh, Navigate Research. Uh, they paid Navigate Research to, re- to dive into, to basically simulate a whole bunch of scenarios uh, and see where... The, you know, try to figure out the scenario that created their best chance of getting a team into the playoff from year to year. Uh, the the playoff apparently, I, I I you can make decent run, you know, create decent scenarios for playoff selection, but we've had two playoffs, so uh, we don't exactly know. You know, it, it's it, there's not a lot of precedent here. The the Supreme Court of the college football playoff does not have a, a giant number of cases that it has gone through. No, and it, uh, but, during the initial t- uh, TCU Baylor thing, we all said we're going to need at least f- at least four, if not five, years worth of information before we can figure out if, if if some of these complaints or accusations are accurate. The problem is we're just living in that interim right now, and we're not being patient. Yeah, yeah. Bob Bowlesby uh, did not want to wait another two to three years. He wanted to know right now. Uh, with the almost non-existent data that we have, what's the best scenario? So the headline here, and Dennis Dodd. Um, I guess he's a colleague, so I'll, I'll, I won't say anything more. Uh, his, the headline of his piece about... Isn't he uh, also a, a fellow alumnus? He's well, a member of your I, Missouri Mafia. 
Yeah, and I hear he's a nice guy in person, so I, I won't say anything more. The headline of his piece the other day was, Big 12 learns what we all knew, 12 teams, title game, best for league. Um, we didn't all know that. We don't all know that. Uh, but if you go on to the story, uh, it basically says that the committee found if, that if the Big 12 were to expand by two teams, drop from nine to eight conference games, and then add a championship game, they would have a 4 to 5% better chance of reaching the, the playoff. Uh, my, my friend, Senator Blutarski, who runs a, a, you know, one of my favorite random school sites uh, the, you know, for Georgia, uh, he, he pointed out, like, this is a funny way to think about it. So, okay, basically, you know, how much, first of all, how much did you pay uh, Navigate Research to tell, to tell you this? And are you going to base a decision based on, you know, getting on into the playoff one to two more or uh, one more time per 20 to 25 years, basically, uh, four to five percent? Um, how do they, Bill, how do they simulate this? How do they simulate two scenarios in which... Well, I mean, you can basically Big 12 competes in a, in a twelve in a twelve team two division Big Twelve. I, I mean, I'm just. I mean, I know how I would that. simulate it. I, I would simulate it by you know setting up you know whatever coming up with kind of random balances of power like the best team is this good, second best team is this good. Da 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 da. Go through there, uh, create uh, you know two divisions uh, and run through a bunch of scenarios and basically see like how frequently does the champion finish twelve and one or thirteen and zero. Um, Okay, yeah, so the, the simulations they ran are not, a, but but I guess my question is, and maybe I'm just not math smart. Um, there is a scenario in which you run a simulation inside of inside of the two structures, the ten team no division format, the twelve team two division format, fourteen I guess maybe an option. Mm-hmm. But then also that doesn't guarantee even if you simulate and you have a twelve and one champion in in a two division format, that doesn't guarantee that they're a playoff team i guess that's the part i don't yeah understand. no i have no idea how they would i mean i can like again i can come up with my own standards and it might be decent but i don't know, know how they went about saying okay so this 12 and 1 team would make it this 11 and 1 team in a 10 in, you know, with a round yeah. robin conference wouldn't because um, like what if one year you have uh i mean hell the easiest way to monkey wrench a conference champion debate is like well what if notre dame is is 12 and 1 one year yeah, and, and and you could create kind of a, a – you could randomize the field too and say that, you know, some – there are this many undefeated teams and this many really strong 12-1 and teams and this many decent 12-1 and teams. And you can kind of – you can create all that. And you can, I got a question uh, for you. Okay. question for you. Rather than pay these people, why wouldn't you just simulate on NCAA? I'm not kidding. I'm talking <laughs> about the video game. Well, they simulated like three or – like. Like thousands of times, so I mean, you get okay. enough nerds together. I mean, maybe you can yeah, simulate so that. You, you can pay one stone kid. With whoa, a whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Does the there wasn't ever an NCAA game that had the playoff? You could still create a four. I mean, you could still you could still shoot out a top a top four, yeah. Like that, and then we would. I mean, we, you could take that information, I guess. Well, I, I mean, but but technically, that's kind of doing the same thing as as uh, research. Uh, firm could do by creating random so what they did was pay somebody to modify the 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 doings of the ncaa football engine so yeah i mean kind of but here's the they buried the lead too the the part adding a playoff game going to 12 teams i mean adding a championship game going to 12 teams that's the part that got the attention the most important piece here is that uh, they also recommended, or for this for this four to five percent chance uh, improvement, which is not much of an improvement, they also dropped from nine to eight conference games. 
that's the biggest thing. That's that's way you, more important than twelve. Right, because now you're dropping a potentially you know a conference foe and, and maybe a, a you know on on a lot of years a, a strong conference foe for what would be in a lot of years another cupcake game. That gets you to twelve and one or thirteen and zero so much easier. Easier. That's where that four to five percent came from. It wasn't the championship game. It was dropping to eight games and then having a championship game. So maybe at most you only play nine. The current structure, if they really were to not expand and add a, a, a conference title game after a perfect round robin, uh, you know they they deserve to have their champion. You know win. You know go eleven one and then lose to the second place team every year. That's that's such a ridiculous idea. When you've got the round robin, the whole po- purpose of twelve team or the whole purpose of Championship games is when you didn't have a purpose, a, a full round robin. That's why you create a championship game. I realize there's a different purpose now, and you know times change and whatnot. But two years here, uh, you know, two years ago, two years ago, obviously the the winner of a Baylor TCU championship game would have had a very good case to make the playoff, a better case than either of them did without. But Ohio State still might have gotten in because Ohio State still beat Wisconsin fifty nine to nothing. Um, which still might have been deemed more impressive than, you know, another, you know, 51 to 48 win by either TC or Baylor. So they, we, we still don't even know if it would have helped them that last uh, two years ago. Last year, Oklahoma probably would have won a title game because I think if I remember right, they would have played uh, second place Baylor without a quarterback and they would have probably won that game. But there would have been like, uh, you know, still like a 30 percent chance or whatever that they lose that game. And if they lose, they definitely don't make the playoff. If they win, you know, they make the playoff. They made the playoff anyway. They sl- they sank a little bit because who was at Michigan State past them. So I understand there's still a little fear there. But between the, with the sample that we've seen so far and then with the 15 years of Big 12 title games where we saw however many top two teams getting knocked out of the top two because they got upset in the Big 12 title game, the Big 12 should know very clearly that this is a, you know, this is not a slam dunk and, and – that dumbass headline in the CBS article that Dodd maybe maybe didn't even Dodd come up probably with. Probably didn't write that. Just yeah. That in there. Um, I don't write like, my headlines. Like uh, I I try and I fail and then Jason makes them good. Um, but no, I mean the, we didn't know this and 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 saying you know they should have it. Duh, they should have it at a championship game. That misses the point of this study. Whether this study should have existed or not. Um, the whole per- the whole point here was that dropping down to eight games and then having a, a, a conference title game, that's the way to go. And that, that hasn't been the option on the table here. So, I, I mean, again, power to them for getting us to talk about this all along. It's ridiculous that we've continued to talk about this. And, it's you know, there are some decent programs on the, on the table for expansion. If there were an obvious two programs um, that were far and away better, that would absolutely benefit the conference, they would have been added three years ago. So, yeah, I, I, I was going to try and sidestep the candidacy thing because we've hit that before. We've had Matt Brown on from uh, SB Nation Land Grant Holy Land. Um, he has uh, a lot of familiarity with BYU. We've talked about that. We've talked about how we guess Cincinnati is the complementary piece. And if not, then, then you start diving into a Houston scenario that I just cannot see playing out or one of the directional Floridas. Um, and, and then we, we kind of go down the same rabbit hole we've always been in. I do find it interesting, look, not a ditch, culvert, that I'll steer us into real fast. <laughs> we talked about nine and eight, uh, nine and eight game season modeling for these conferences. 
Uh, chatting on the old Twitters with Ralph Russo, the Associated Press, this week, one of the few moments I was not involved in with this thing I am working on, and he noticed the exorbitant amount of not of, of guarantee money being spent between NC State and Northwestern for an upcoming series. I think Stu Mandel from Fox jumped in when we were talking. This we're we're looking very closely at, at hitting the two million mark for these these games <sighs> for guarantees. Now every deal is structured differently. Nobody, nobody cares. I mean, I don't mean that if you're an NC State fan or a Northwestern fan, I'm not trying to insult you. Probably like that's not a mark. That, that's not a marquee match. That's not even a matchup that has any any logical sense other than we have to have this. We have to schedule a non-conference opponent in the Power Five as a mandate, and and these two bodies are left in the bar at the end <laughs> of the night, and we're going to see more of that, and they're going to be really expensive. And I think it's an it, as, the, as the inflation goes up in the market and the supply goes down, that to me spells disaster. Oh, I think a lot of schools are really going to struggle to find non-conference opponents. That's why you have the was it Wake and UNC that are scheduling each other as non-conference <laughs> that's, opponents. That's right. I'd already forgotten about that one. This is um, aside from the projection modeling and everything else, and some of the semantics that a lot of the different coaches and conference commissioners have, either pro or con on the eight nine thing. The more inventory you take away, and the more demands you place on people to schedule, it, it, like the math doesn't work. It, it, it kind of never has, but you're going to see teams struggle to be really interesting to see what the direction what the directional Sunbelt schools have to you know do and the, and the uh, and the max schools because they they kind of make their nut as they say you know at least half of their athletic budget sometimes would, would come from these games and if they start to disappear or if the mandate increases, or a school in the SEC can leapfrog playing a Louisiana Monroe and just play a southeastern Louisiana SES opponent for cheaper. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. So yeah, I've been. That's just um, more of a tangent, a topic for another day. But but these this eight nine debate has ramifications so far beyond the playoff, and nobody's really noticing that. Yeah, and um, I have noticed. Maybe this has always happened. I just wasn't ever paying attention. But I've noticed a lot of the. Um, it seems like there are more like kind of Boise State Toledo type, type matchups, like between powerful, you know, two you know power schools, quote unquote, from non-power conferences. Yes, Georgia Southern um, and Western Michigan. Yeah, and um, if like there, there are a lot of potential negative consequences with all of this, but if that emerges as something that you know gets them on TV, like if that's a like a you know a, a Thursday night or Friday night game, especially, um, that would be at least one positive outcome because you know i i really enjoy it. so okay so from and this is the last thing i'll say on scheduling and then we'll go to but before before we note it and before we know it it's, we're at an hour and we haven't done blind back, uh, box court bingo again um from a math standpoint i like eight conference games and four non-conference just by in principle because that means more connectivity interconnectivity between conferences yes i agree um, you have a better sense, you know, you're not isolated in your little silos playing only each other. And then you come out and nobody actually knows how good you are. Cough, uh, and cough, then, uh, distinctive style in a particular reason, cough, region, cough, cough, big yeah, 12 yeah. offense. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Um, but so, I mean, you, you've got this, uh, from that standpoint, I really like that, but it is the, the, the TV, the guarantees and the conference networks and everything have made that very interesting. I, I, I kind of personally hate nine conference or nine game conference schedules. I, I get the draw. 
Um, it's not like I, I actually hate it, I guess. I don't, you know, rage at the thought of Washington State playing, you know, whoever, Arizona instead of, say, you know, Northwestern or whatever. It's not that big a deal. Also lessens but, your network inventory, by the way. So if you run a conference network, so that would be three of the Power Five right now, it mm-hmm. lessens. So if you, if you have nine conference games instead of eight, that lessens the total number of home games that you could have in in non conference. Now, oh, that's true. Whatever that's true. the value is of Alabama playing Florida Atlantic is is apropos in this discussion. Networks are looking purely at what kind of inventory product do we have, okay? Because on the SEC network, there is value to that. But if Alabama, Alabama is not a great example there. But like, if you have teams that are trading off one and ones, and the rights go to some other network. That is a loss. Also, if you have a ninth conference game and you have 12 teams, that means, or 14, that means it's seven home games instead of possibly that week having 10. And by the way, now I'm scanning for what I'm trying to find the best group of five on group of five violence this year. And I don't know if I'll get better than Western Michigan, Georgia Southern, but I'm willing to try. No, that is a, a good one. Actually, uh, I, I retweeted this yesterday, but I'll pimp it again. A guy named Stephen Hogg actually on his site um, used, I guess, my projections and the ESPN FPI projections to basically create like th- this year's five star games, four star games, etc., uh, based purely on you know combined rankings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he did a mid major category here, so like top twenty group of five games, and this inc- okay, so he has like BYU West Virginia, so it includes teams uh, like against or games against power conference. Let okay, me see I'm looking purely oh, for BYU G5. BYU Boise State uh, on October twentieth. Yeah. Oh, uh, Northern Illinois, South Florida. Houston, Cincinnati. Well, yeah, that's a conference game, though. I'm looking specifically oh, at yeah, G5 and yeah. um, G5 out of conference, which only because having talked to a lot of ADs at that level, they want to move towards that. It's kind of hard because it often puts you like Northern Illinois going all the way to Tampa, Georgia Southern going all the way to to, to Western Michigan. It's hard on, the, on the, the structure of the deals, and there's not a huge amount of money involved, but they would rather that from a competitive standpoint than taking on that second homecoming victim game. Right. Yeah, it looks like it, uh, most of the top ones here are, are AAC versus AAC, basically, which makes sense. But uh, anyway, so that, that yeah, was... Again, small ditch, small ditch developing from the culvert we dropped into. Um, uh, where do we leave Big 12? We leave Big 12 like this. Um, I don't think anything changes for a little while longer. And I don't think that Texas is going to go quietly on this. So... The amount of equity yeah. they have is about to be measured in probably in probably public forums across you, Texas. That's how it well. usually works, yeah. Uh, by the way, Texas has remained hilariously quiet through all this. It's It's been like boring in Oklahoma and everybody else speaking, and you do get the feeling Texas is going to say, okay, enough. Here's our verdict <laughs> at some point. I just don't see them getting behind this unless absolutely forced to, and I don't see how they're going to be absolutely forced to do anything, at least no. for a little while. So, no. I mean, that's my two cents on it. And maybe that's why everybody else is talking. They're trying to rally some sort of like massive wave where Texas doesn't have a choice, but I don't see why Texas doesn't have a choice. Even though like even if we call the Longhorn Network a failure, it's a failure on ESPN's side, not Texas's side. So they don't really have a reason to mm. <laughs> That's my verdict anyway. <laughs> if you're if, if you're if you're running a network solely solely dedicated to one school's output in sports. Granted, it was your idea. Not the smartest one, um, but you did it. You want that school to be giving you the best they got. 
and it's been pretty bad. When I wrote the LHN, uh, I wrote an, uh, an LHN story in 13, an update last summer, and at the time, I don't think they had had a notable title run from anybody. I think Texas had been in the College World Series during that span, and then I know yeah. the men's basketball team was in the tournament this year, and that's pretty much it. So Well, I know, but I mean, what I'm saying is, I mean, it hasn't helped Texas on the field, but it gives them a lot of money, and the alternative yes. here... The alternative here is them saying, okay, fine, we can turn LH into a Big 12 network and share it with everybody. That doesn't benefit them specifically either. So Texas, no, 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 that's not going to happen. People have asked, I, that's probably the number one question I get when I do, actually when I do radio spots outside of like the state of Texas, because so everyone there is so well-versed in the weirdness of the right. LHN, but um, a lot of SEC and Big Ten go, well, why don't they just turn it into the Big 12 network? Because no. Because Texas has a contract. That contract pays a lot of money, and they're not going to take that contract. They're not going to blow that up because they want to help Oklahoma. Right. That's that's uh, my point. I mean, they don't have a reason, even though they haven't thrived on the field, court, whatever, to their level in the last three years or whatever, that, that doesn't – they still don't have a reason to change right now. And uh, I, I guess that means that – you know, this whole public rallying cry thing is maybe the, the Big 12's attempt at getting Texas to be benevolent here. Texas doesn't really have a history of benevolence, so I don't know what, I, I don't know what we're, we're expecting to come of this. But whatever. I mean, hey, add Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a good program. They deserve to be a major conference program. They didn't do, they didn't do anything to, uh, you know, to really deserve their change in, in their lot in life. They've been good at football and basketball recently especially, so, you know. Power to them if that happens. So, moving along. Um, you want to do a box score bingo real fast? I, I think we need to. I think we finally need to get to box score bingo here uh, since we're already at like the 30 minute mark. Uh, okay. That was our basically our one goal today. So, let's explain box score bingo real fast. Um, through the courtesy and the generosity and the hard work of a lot of our listeners, we took a random idea that we never even really followed through on. If this works, it's going to become a recurring segment. Again, let us know. Um, hit us up on Twitter. That's usually the best. Also, if you're going to email one of us, email both of us. Definitely email Bill because I ain't going to read it. Um, but Bill Bill sorts through the email a little bit more than I do. But if I see something, I do mark it. I have a folder. So I guess, we, Bill, yeah, you got a really, bunch of, did you get a bunch of email this week? It was only to you? I think at least a couple, yeah. Um, and I mean, at some point, it would benefit us to actually create a you know a papn at gmail dot com kind of thing. But I see how y'all doing me. I see how it is. They know who reads the emails. Well, that, yeah, I mean, honestly. and jokes on them because I'm terrible at email, but I do read the emails. So I read the emails, but I usually I, I don't read them like the moment that they come in. So we do appreciate your correspondence. Uh, obviously, I think we should probably start encouraging people to use a papn hashtag too on Twitter because that's a good way for us to scroll through. If you if you have a question for us and it's not like during the time in which we solicit, which is usually five minutes before air, um, hit a papn uh, hashtag on it midweek. That way I'll be able to scroll back and use it. We're not doing question time this week because we're a uh, little full. Um, but box score bingo. Do you want to try and explain this? Do you want me to explain it? I'm going to test the brain power of one Billiam Connolly robot. Um, and this goes back to the, the first conversation Bill and I ever had about what we look at when we look at a box score. Um, is, that a, is that a decent enough explanation? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that's where the entire idea came from is where, where do your eyes go when you pull up a box score to figure out what happened in a given game? So what we're going to use, we're going to use listener Ross Cunningham again. Thank you, Ross. One of the examples that he gave. So what he did was he went, I believe, to ESPN.com. Yeah, that looks, looks like, like it. ESPN. Yeah. 
stripped all of the information out of a box score uh, in terms of team names, player names, proper nouns, anything that you could guess who the two teams were that played. In fact, I don't even know if he if we gave him a season parameter. No, he just pulled it up. So these and because be, I'm a good boy, I haven't looked at the season yet, so I don't know for sure. I'm assuming that these, these would be within the last five years or so. Bill has seen this email, however, the answers which Ross has provided, he's put in a highlighted link that uh, Bill swears that he has not clicked on. Um, so the point of this game is going to be, and, and hopefully you guys are going to play along as we do this, I'm going to read off this information. There's a red team and a blue team, okay? I'm going to give off stats, I'm going to give off points, I'm going to give off a bunch of information. The goal is not for Bill to say, oh, this was uh, Missouri and, and Washington State. The goal is for Bill to try and recreate the game as best he can using this information. Then we're going to go check the game out and find out how close he was. Okay? So in other words, did one team make a huge comeback? Was there uh, a particularly um, uh, dominant running back that changed the course of the game? That kind of thing. And we're going to see how much a box score can tell us blind. You ready? Now, so, so we're clear. What happens after, afterwards? Do we actually click on the link and say it out loud on the show? Yes. What we'll do is okay. as we go along, and listeners can go along and listen. If you're going to write this down if you're not driving, that's great. Um, we'll go along. I'll give out the information. You will build your case as to what you think happened. We'll pause. We'll allow people to, to, to pause the podcast or stop listening until they have time to work on the problem if they want to. And then I will go and check the link and we will give you the answer. Okay. All right. We have a red team and we have a blue team. Okay. Uh, the red team had 438 total yards. The blue team had 401 total yards. The red team's time of possession was 35 minutes and 25 seconds. The blue team was 23 minutes and 37 seconds. So the red team held the ball uh, considerably longer, and they had a little bit more in total yards. The red team had one turnover. The blue team had three turnovers. All right? The red team had 28 first downs. The blue team had 23 first downs. Um, and you can ask me where you want where you want me to go next. There were uh, the red team had five penalties for thirty six yards. The blue team had three penalties for forty yards. So um, you know when I'm doing this, I'm usually doing it on the school site, and and I'll also look at you know they you can scroll down uh, and get like you know average field position and whatnot. So this will this will be an abbreviated version. <laughs> um, but so from this information that we have here, I mean, do you, you want more? See, I have more information. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at, the, at what he shared since it wasn't going to give away the answer. All right. Well, um, for, for the listener's sake, I'm going to rattle off a few more stats. Okay. You, you and we will build. share this, this image uh, in the SB Nation post. For third this. down efficiency. The red team was 8 of 17 on third down. The blue team was 7 of 12. On fourth down, the red team was 1 of 2. There were no fourth down conversions for the blue team. Um, of those total yards that I mentioned earlier, red 438, blue 401. Pretty even for both. Red had 277 passing, 161 rushing. Blue had 236 passing, 165 rushing. Um, passing, 26 of 43 for the red team. Average pass of 6.4 yards. 20, 21 of 32 for the blue team. Average pass of 7.4 yards. The, of those three turnovers for the blue team, two were interceptions. And the one turnover the red team had was an interception. Okay. Um, so. I think that's pretty much it in terms of what we've got here. So... This is not a lot of information, Bill. Yes. This is not anything close to what you do and what you provide um, after games when you, when you break down with, with advanced stats. 
this goes to the heart of what we what we talk about, um, yes. which is that box scores are kind of antiquated. So, Bill Connolly, what can you yes. tell me about this football game? Okay, so one. Um, well, well, I have to talk through it first. Um, all right, so the first thing I notice here, uh, blue team, uh, 7.4 yards per pass to 6.4, 4.3 yards per rush to 3.5. On a per-play basis, the blue team was, was the some combination of steadier or more explosive. Um, they were better on third downs, which, you know, generally from third downs, you know who was better on first down. Um, it's kind of a hint at efficiency, and they were slightly better, but not dramatically better. But uh, minus two in turnovers, they had they lost the fumble. They had one. They threw two interceptions to the other teams. One, and um, and when you look at time of possession, then red team had thirty five minutes. Uh, this basically all, and I just realized that the time of possession there doesn't actually add up to sixty. But I'll I'll try to let that pass. Um, hmm. Yeah. So, so basically, I'm going to check it, the it, answer and and double check the math. It would appear that I mean that's it, this is an ESPN thing, it, weird thing. They, it could have just been a minute where no possession was recorded and and whatever. It's it's fine. Um, it, I mean, it, it adds up to fifty nine minutes, so I think it's we're not missing much of the story. So, okay, um, this tells me that red team with help from the blue team's turnovers was able to control the ball and, and kind of, you know, just play keep away to a certain degree. And, you know, they had 438 yards. They had what, 89 plays. Um, so they were, you know, probably running relatively relative tempo there, but they were still dinking and dunking and running the ball as much as possible. 46 rushes to 43 passes to just play ball control. Uh, that's sometimes that's your general approach. Sometimes that's an underdog tactic. Uh, so, you know, either one of those, but it would appear, I, I, I couldn't tell you who won. It probably was, was very, very even, but it would appear that basically the blue team was the better team, but kind of had a couple self-destructive moments and the red team was able to stick around a little bit. Um, and now again, before I reveal this answer, you have not, you have not clicked on that link. Correct. Scouts on it. I'm not a scout, but sure. I dropped out. Um, all right. Anything else you can tell me before I reveal this? Now, just to summarize, you said that the you think the blue team was the better team, right. but they let the red team hang in there, right? And, and specifically you know, you because of turnovers. You also yeah. said that the red team hung around because of their because of the plays that they ran a lot of uh, a lot of running the ball. Uh, what's the red team? Is it three and a half yards of rush? I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. So they're, they're that kind could of trying to grind it out. Sacks. Since I don't have sack data, that could include a, bit, a couple of huge sacks that skewed that total. Maybe they were actually pretty good at running the ball, but 3.5 is not a lot without that extra piece of context. Okay. Again, without re, without rehashing all the, the stats here, who won this okay. game? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess I've already said the blue team was better, so even with mistakes, I'll just, I guess, maybe blue. I don't know. I mean, this was clearly a, a close game unless one team just, like, had to settle for eight field goals and miss them all. I'm assuming this was a very close game. Okay. To review, Bill has the blue team winning a close game in which they're probably the superior opponent, and because of mistakes, they let the red team hang around. You got all that? Yeah, I've clicked on the link you, now. Do you I, feel I, good about this? All right, now we're well, going to give, give everybody a big fat pause here. If you want to stop, if you want to try and figure this out on your own, pull over or if you're just driving and screaming at me for, for the answer. Bill, are you ready? I, I, I see the answer now, so I'm very ready. 
Bill was completely right. The game, the blue team, Auburn, 27. The red team, Jacksonville State, 20. Auburn won 27-20 in overtime. Auburn turned the ball over, and Auburn let an obviously inferior opponent. Sorry, Gamecocks. But not drastically inferior. Hang around. Auburn lost time of possession. Auburn lost total yardage. They turned the ball over more. And they allowed Jacksonville State to hang on. Bill, that was kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. We're going to retire that segment, actually, because I'll never... um... I don't know. No, 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 no. We're not. I'm going to take you around like a trick pony and do this and do this as like a, a party favor in front of people. Um, that was cool. I did not think that you'd hit it quite like that. But now I will say uh, credit to Ross Cunningham for not just throwing out a, a, a very, you know, vanilla outcome between two. Right. That wasn't, all, that wasn't opponents. Alabama Clemson. That was a good This one. was an incredibly unique game from last season. It had incredibly unique circumstances, obviously. And um, who knows? Might have gotten. Gus Miles on fire. By the way, Auburn, sixth in the nation when this happened. I think That's they were just coming off the Louisville game, if I remember right. Um, okay. So, uh, by, by the way, I, I did. I just pulled up the big box score for this game to see what else I would have gathered from that. Auburn's um, average field position was a little better, 32 average uh, field position to 27 for JSU. Uh, JSU, let's see, attempted four field goals and missed two of them, so they could have won. Uh, Auburn scored three touchdowns, attempted two field goals, and made both of them. Um, Auburn also not explosive at all in this game. But, uh, yeah, that was cool. Um, That was amazing, Bill. We're going to do this again. Um, I'm going to recant on what I just said. If you want to submit a box score bingo, we're going to put what Ross sent us with the information stripped out in terms of the the names. If you want to send us a box score like this, just send it to me. Um, if you're skeptical about this segment, if you think that we, we rigged this up, uh, I promise you we did not. But if you just want to send the email to me, I will read it live to Bill on the air. It's about as good as in terms of um, <laughs> validating yeah. we can do. Yeah. Um, but you can hit me up at uh, sgodjr, S-G-O-D-J-R at sbnation.com if you want to send a blind box score bingo challenge to one Bill Connolly, who absolutely smoked the first one. So now you have to live up to this every week. I need to be setting the bar low here. But. Question before we move on. What was the okay. one stat that you wish you had when I was reading those numbers off to you, even though you had, you had this blind box score in front of you with no information. So I didn't, you didn't have to, you didn't have to rely on me speaking, but so next time you're going to have like a pencil and paper. <laughs> what was the one stat that you wish you'd had? Um, I think one of the things, and this was a good exercise because I didn't have it, so I didn't realize how much I needed it. The one thing I, I think I, I tend to, field position is one, but the thing I go to before field position is I start to, if it was clearly a close game, then I start to go, I go down to the drive chart and look at who was scoring touchdowns and who was settling for field goals or turning the ball over, you know, when they had a chance. Basically breaking a game down to how many uh, opportunities did you create for scoring and then what did you do when you got those chances. A lot of these close games, it'll be like 7-7 to or 5-4 or something really close. And so the team that actually scored is the one that won the game. So that that piece would have helped a lot. But um, for this game, it seemed like, you know, it, that would have helped Auburn a little bit um, as compared to JSU settling for those field goals. But no, that, that piece would have been useful. Our thanks to Ross Cunningham. Um, we did go through these notes before the air in a, in a frightening amount of preparation, and Bill said he did recognize the game too. 
problem that, that Ross posed, so we're going to throw that one out. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, so, one more that so, Ross provided. Yeah, the, the, one he, the other one he provided, um, it was black team versus red team. The red team had 812 yards, so that pretty much – uh, there's a third game on here too, but uh, yeah, the, well, the third game we're going to use next week. Don't look okay, at it. Okay, got it. But yeah, that was Cal uh, Cal Washington State from a couple of years ago. That hilarious, well, not hilarious to Washington State fans game where um, where Cal where where well where Washington State gained 812 yards and lost because of special teams. So all right, so we're going to throw that one out because Bill recognized it instantly. This is also the challenge, folks. Um, don't go too unique. Because if you find something that you think is funny or weird or strange, chances are one robot, Bill Connolly, has already digested that information and he remembers. Okay? <laughs> he Plus, if you're going to select a game where a team game's 812 yards, I'm immediately going to suspect that that team lost because why else would you share that game? So, yeah. You know. Also, I would, like to, I, would, I would like to personally request just for the, in the interest of relevance that you keep it to the last three football seasons. Um, just because if it gets a little bit older than that, it gets a little. It's hard to. It's hard for us to see how right we were. We're wrong. Uh, but it's yeah, real weak. It, right. Probably right. <clears throat> Probably right. Wow. Oh, look at check, check out this. <laughs> I'm, back, I'm batting a thousand here. You know, that's the Hall of Fame caliber right there. Bill, how much time do we have left in the show? We have about 15 minutes left. So, <laughs> you ready? We have two topics. If you want to stall on Tunsil a little bit longer, there is one other thing that I was going to mention that I just found fun. Um, and, and by fun, I mean kind of maddening, but also enlightening. Well, yeah. So, I can talk about that if you want to stall for about another five minutes. So, you want to stall for another five minutes? Totally up to you. Go for it. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go this. So, okay, I'm doing the book, doing the 50 best book. And, um,. Between that and these um, these football study hall pieces I've been doing, where I post the rankings from a given year, uh, these estimated S and P plus rankings uh, from each year, uh, I'm back to like 1990 now. Between those things, between these big HBCU pieces that I've been doing, the second one just went up today uh, about FAMU, which I'm really happy with. Like I, I, uh, I, I, I'm really happy with that one, and I hope you read it. But anyway. Um, this this is basically, uh, 2016 is the year uh, of, of, of storytelling. This, this is just like, I'm talking about historical teams left and right. Uh, and it's a lot of fun, uh, for me anyway. And, um, this book, again, it's 50 best college football teams of all time. Not at all the 50 best teams, but the 50 I wanted to talk about. Uh, one of those is 1947 Notre Dame. I'm going chronologically and I'm to, I'm to 47 Notre Dame now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to put the, I'm not going to say this in the book, but 1947 was basically the year that the year that college football and the NCAA got incredibly full of themselves. Uh, probably had already happened, but that was the year everything crystallized. That was the year that, um, you know, number one, they hadn't even agreed that, that scholarship that, that paying kids was with scholarships was acceptable. In fact, the sec wanted to do that and was doing that. Uh, teams from the, the more tradition heavy big 10 and everywhere else, uh, scoffed at the idea basically because it's paying players. So number one, that's a, you're a reminder that we, uh, we uh, never stop arguing about the same damn topics. Um, I saw, uh, you know, somebody decrying the transfer ap- academic quote unquote, academic tra- transfer epidemic um uh, quote unquote in uh, i think it was a cbs piece today uh when we've been complaining about the transfer epidemic since the end of world war ii yeah because it used to be field labor farmers uh would go this was in that uh big 10 book that the guy from big 10 network i just spouted this off without doing my research um uh, Rebson? 
Yeah, it was in Revson's book. Was that the the reason transfer transfer rules started was because people would go and work. Uh, for those of you who are, are uh, extremely urban, um, uh, the harvest in America works um, in in gradual phases depending on the weather climate. So people would move with the harvest as it came. So usually north to south, if I've got that right. Um, as as harvest time came, they would go and then they would people would enroll and play football as part of different schools. And I think there's a famous story of like one person playing for multiple teams in in the same year. And this was a, this was like a a huge problem for years. Yeah, and the NCAA at this point was basically like uh, uh, they had no sanction power, no rulemaking power. Really, they were basically there to. Um, not even really mind the money. They were just there to make suggestions, basically. And so every year they'd have an NCAA conference, uh, convention. They'd bicker about the same things. Nothing would happen. They'd go home. Um, but, I mean, especially in World War II, where certain schools, like, well, Army, Navy, obviously, but then other schools that were close to, say, a naval training base, which, by the way, I didn't realize this, uh, Notre Dame was dying during World War II. Uh, like a lot of schools, when it came to talent drain, only the Navy then uh, put a training station basically on Notre Dame's campus and paid Notre Dame a lot of money to basically boost the school up, proper school up and then allow them to continue accessing talent. Because at that point, like, you know, even like Ohio state and Michigan, all they would, you know, the talent would go to the army Navy and all the, the pre-flight schools and they'd be left playing freshmen and, and guys who for one reason or another couldn't get into the armed services. Um, so also, so far, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure Bill's knows this, but that's why when people ask, why is Notre Dame always playing Navy? That agreement that, is, is yeah. a goodwill gesture, uh, which yeah. I am told by both Notre Dame and Navy people will continue forever. Um, yeah, they, they basically, we, they, Notre Dame as a thank you basically invited no, Navy to play them in perpetuity. Um, and they have, you know, they, they, they'll play army sporadically, uh, right. kind of on, off, on, off. They'll play Navy every single year forever and ever and ever because Navy, basically kept the, allowed them to continue fielding good football teams during World War II. So you can um, look at that as a, either an incredibly altruistic and a really sort of sweet and genuine and uniquely American story in athletics, or you can just really hate Navy for keeping Notre Dame football alive. It just depends on your, your point of view. Yeah, because basically at the end of the world, basically then there were three national brands for football at the end of World War II, Army, Navy, and Notre Dame. Uh, when the... The wartime educational opportunities lessened. Then Army and Navy both fell off a little bit. That that forty five Army team, by the way, um, had Glenn Davis. You know, you know, you know Glenn Davis and um, uh, Doc Blanchard. Blanchard was originally a North Carolina signee, but then they like had a guy from uh, what's his name, Shorty McWilliams, who was a uh, an All American at Mississippi State the year before, who because of wartime whatever, uh, he was on the nineteen forty five Army team and then went back to Mississippi State. Uh, so that team was hilariously loaded with everybody's best players. Uh, and of course, then, you know, they were most likely the best college football team of all time. And then those guys went back like one of them, one of the receivers for the Ole Miss team that won the SEC in like 47. He was on that 45 Army team. It's hilarious. Um, so anyway, by 1947, everybody hated Notre Dame. Because while they were having to kind of dance around the rules to attract talent, you know, the SEC, they wanted to offer scholarships, which was a which was a no, no. Um, Other schools, they, you know, did the whole no show job things. They were having to try to do all these things to to attract talent. Notre Dame basically was able to say, we're we're America's uh, college football team. Come play for us. And it worked. 
Uh, that 47 team, which still had a, a lot of wartime veterans who still had eligibility left. That was another thing is during the war, you know, you would have, you got extra eligibility basically. Um, by 47, nobody wanted to play Notre Dame. And, and like big, big 10 programs, like high and mighty big 10 programs were dropping blind items into newspapers about how they were cheating at this and that. And I'm sure they were cutting corners or, you know, the no-show jobs and everything. But basically they all ganged up in a way and, and tried to create what they called the purity code, which is the most ridiculous high and mighty NCAA thing possible where they try to create rules on, you know, you can't leave campus to recruit. You can't offer scholarships. You have to, you have to basically field teams of guy, of kids who want to, uh, who play for pride and play for your school. And that's it. Um, they created these rules. A lot of the big 10 teams were, you know, wanting an even playing field, so to speak by creating these rules, but those rules would have only helped Notre Dame, which didn't even have to try to recruit at that point. Um, so, they passed the, the quote-unquote sanity code. Everybody hates it. The SEC, um, for lack of a better term, uh, threatens to secede. And, um, and, oh, and, then like three, and then like three or four years later, um, they, they retract. And then three or four years after that, they, they decide scholarships are okay. And by the way, uh, if you think pettiness started any time recently, I, I, did, I found a quote from like, I think it was like the 1939 NCAA convention, Ohio State's athletic director saying um, – that the that college football existing where some ki- uh, schools are giving out scholarships and some aren't some schools being the the, the ones that are being the ones in the south uh, he 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 said that uh, the quote was that intercollegiate athletics can't really exist half slave and half free in the words of Abraham Lincoln so yeah that Ooh. was I guess that's a reminder that <laughs> that was only like seventy five years after the Civil War um, and those feelings hadn't really subsided. All right, but you're anyway, ready? you ready? You ready for the bridge yeah. here? Yeah, let's go. Speaking of South, nothing changes. Nothing changes nothing ch- in this world. <laughs> Ever. It, 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 it truly is the flat circle, um, the metaphor from a television show that we've beaten into the ground. I have been working since it happened on Laramie Tunsil. Um, I was also the, the uh, rote dumbass who, uh, on a conference call with Spencer Hall, uh, our boss at SB Nation, said a couple weeks ago, uh, I guess a month, month or two ago now, I don't know if Laramie Tunsil is as interesting as we initially thought he was. Let's focus on Robert Kendici. Um, smart move by me. I'm very good at my job, obviously. Got a great instinct <laughs> for this kind of stuff. Draft night rolls around. I'm not going to recap everything that happened because at this point you are inundated with that with that information. Um, Bill, I need you to guide me on what what you think needs to be addressed here. Is it is it the moralizing? Is it the impact on Ole Miss? Is it the state of the NCAA and how they and how they enforce penalties on schools? I am I'm not neck deep. I'm 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 crown of my head deep. I, I don't know. I can't see the forest for the trees right now because of the amount of work that I'm doing on this. Um, I'll say up front, yes, I'm working on the case. Uh, yes, I'm working on names that are were involved in leaking this information. No, I can't share any of that um, for reasons of everything from potentially libelous information to the fact that it's 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 a story that it's, is ongoing to the fact that SB Nation really isn't in the witch hunt business and we're not trying to be the first one out. You know, it's um, if you've read our product and, and you are familiar with our editorial tone and mission, it should come to you as no, as no shock. I'm the guy who wrote the Bagman piece. We don't really care about the crime. We care about how it was committed. Um, and so that's what I'm focused on right now. Um, so, I, I'm seeing reports out here that are breaking as we record this about specific pieces of information. I can't really confirm or deny what I know or what's right or what's wrong or what I think is right or wrong. 
um, in terms of other people's reporting. Um, but I am adrift in this right now. So I think the first thing, and, and this is since you're a, a noted Ole Miss homer, you cannot speak on this. Jesus. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I found most interesting about this is it really does seem like, you know, Ole Miss is kind of getting the Boise State treatment here. Like there has been, a, I, mean, I mean, yes, like in terms of like Tunsil getting paid and all the things that could come to light from this, hell yes, I believe every bit of it. Because, you know, as the Bagman piece taught me, this happens in a hell of a lot of places. But we seem to have, there's, there seems to be an, a, a little bit of extra delight taken in trying to take down Ole Miss in this regard. And it really kind of reminds me of, of the way we continuously, not we, like you and me personally, but a lot of people shot, uh, tried to do whatever they could to shoot down Boise State a few years ago or Oregon um, you know, where you still have people from the SEC and Florida State calling, you know, gimmick offense and all that. Like, it really seems like we take offense to usurpers. And the fact that Ole Miss hasn't always been a dynamite recruiter and suddenly was and got this, especially, you know, this this 2013 class with the three big draft picks. Um, it seems like there has been this extra delight in trying to take them down or prove that they're cheating or this or that. And it's fascinating to me. It's not really fascinating in a good way. It's kind of a gross side of human nature, but we all seem to agree that this stuff happens. And then when one school in particular does it, we uh, specifically try to take them down for it. Uh, and it's weird, but there has definitely been a lot of delight in trying to take down Ole Miss in recent week in re- well, recent years. And, and with the NCAA case that's ongoing and all that, um, but that part, that part is the most interesting to me. Like the fact that Tunsil, poor Laramie Tunsil, he, he had a bad night last Thursday um, where it seemed like he didn't actually know somebody had posted it on his Instagram account, but then he kind of ac- accidentally admitted to taking money anyway. Um, so that brings up a, a, I, what I think is kind of the core of the situation as it relates to college football. Um, I, I can say that Tunsil was unaware of what was being leaked on his Instagram when he was asked that specific question. Sort of the shot was heard around the NCAA. Um, that is interesting on a couple levels, but most notably because it means that he was asked that question and answered it honestly, but he was not aware of the actual text messages or, or alleged yeah. construction of text messages, doctored or not, um, that, were, that were being released. So logic tells us that he was admitting to something apropos of what he was being accused of, which means that it's almost undeniable. Um, I'm really, you know, at this point, I don't think any of us are interested as to whether or not he took money, even those who want to try and persecute Ole Miss specifically or the SEC specifically, or even Tunsil for God knows what reason you would do that. But um, I cannot do anything to, if you're stuck at the message board level of me or anyone else being involved, Having an agenda for or against a particular school at this point, I can't help you. I have nothing to say to you. It's not personal, um, although it seems very personal for, for you. <laughs> I, I, I cannot proceed to try and, and help people understand the situation. If you think because I am an alumnus of a university in a state in which I was completely unfamiliar with two years before I went to college there, that I am part of some grand conspiracy or scheme. Um, yes, I wrote the Bagman piece, so no, in any way, shape, or form would I ever stand here and say, nah, you know, I don't think he took any money. They're, they're all taking benefits that are, by definition, when applied to the NCAA guidelines, uh, illegal or wrong. Um, but it's, it's also funny I say illegal because I shouldn't because a lot of people are, are confusing 
Let me back up. In a situation like this, when so many people become focused on what the NCA does or doesn't do, or they get very confused, the NCA does not have subpoena power. The NCA is not a is not a is not a part of the executive branch of government. So no one goes to jail for these kind of things. People go to jail for what's going on in Baylor and what's going on in Tennessee. Um, this is a matter of NCA violation. One thing that I can sort of advise you as you build your opinion or expectation of this story moving forward is that the key person involved is now a member of the National Football League. He is not an amateur athlete anymore. He is a very well-compensated left tackle in the NFL. He has absolutely no reason or motivation to comply, agree with, or respond to the NCAA. So keep that in mind as this goes forward. Basically, the star witness is gone. Had he been a rising senior, which he was, and elected to stay at Ole Miss, he would have had to have spoken to the NCAA in some way, shape, or form eventually with, with representation present. That's not going to happen now. I think it severely damages the case. I, I, As far as the actual text messages and allegations go, I'll say this. I've talked to a lot of people who are investigating this on a local and national level. There is no consensus among sources on background, on, you know, on the record or off, as to the pure validity of those specific text messages that were released. However, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't think that this kid took benefits. He absolutely took benefits, and everybody <laughs> yeah. is guilty. And, and guess what? We, this happens. This happened to Laramie Tunsil and Ole Miss. This is happening at the University of Alabama. This is happening at Mississippi State and Georgia and Florida and Southern California and Texas and every other place, including Michigan, where you want to clutch your pearls ever so tightly. This is endemic. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to shake a finger because of some provincial debate based on an on-field rivalry, you got to get over that for a second. This is a byproduct of a market that was built that suppresses compensation for the labor. This will continue to happen forever until something is done about it. I'm not trying to argue whether or not they should or how much right now. I'm just telling you, and you can take this for what it's worth because I'm the Ole Miss alumnus and this happened to the, to the school that I went to. Again, if you can't get over that, just don't proceed. Go listen to something else. <laughs> if, you can, if, you, if you trust me and you trust what I wrote two years ago, about this culture, which, by the way, I don't see how the, the people, even just within the field of journalism, and, and my colleagues who scoffed at what I wrote and the sourcing policy that we employed and accused me of fabrication, I would love to have that conversation again right now, today, and, and, and for you to tell me how much you think I made up. <laughs> I cannot help you if you, can't get any, if you can't get past that. What I want you to know, walking away from this, yes. The kid took illegal benefits. Yes, I am 110% telling you that everyone is doing this. Yes, it is going to continue. No, 99.999% of it will ever be discovered or caught. If you don't like that, if you don't believe that, that's fine. Actually, if you don't like it, I, under, I get that. I do. There are people who, who want to argue that you should want college football players to be paid. And I understand people who have a different belief. I don't agree with it personally, but I understand that. I do need you to start believing in it. As a culture in college football, as a culture in the media, as a culture as fans, because I'm watching, and you can earmuff here, I am watching shit 
like John Gruden. I am watching shit like the culture that was built around the broadcasts that night. This instant witch hunt of Tunsil, of the university. This is the stuff that kind of drives me. This is what really kind of curls my toes. And I don't know how much longer culturally in, in college football and football in the NFL that we're going to put up with this stuff. Although there's concussion denialists, so I, I guess I shouldn't be too shocked. Oh, yeah. If you're going to persecute a kid for smoking marijuana, and I can, I mean, I've done reporting that's already out there. We've confirmed that it is at least two years and a month old based on some, some time frames that were put in place to us by sources around Tunsil and around Ole Miss. So if a kid after his freshman year I can't even tell you on this podcast everything I did in college because it would, it would go from being funny to like I would worry about statute of limitations on minor crimes, okay? I, so I'm the wrong guy maybe to, to, to even try and figure out if this is a, if this is a moral – like where this fits on a moral barometer. I have no idea because I did so much worse stuff than this. I, I took, it took me six years to get out of Oxford, okay? I laughed at the gas mask, but maybe I'm the wrong guy. Um, as long as this culture continues where we are wagging our fingers at these kids for taking money. And by the way, if the text messages that were leaked are totally true, Bill, he was taking money to give to his mother to pay her bills. Well, well right. Yeah, well, he wasn't saying, hey, you know, I, well, hey, I need to go buy some weed, coach. He was saying, hey, I can't pay my rent. <laughs> so for whatever whatever kind of moralizing you want to build up in your head that these kids are expecting to race Ferraris on their way to provide abortions to strippers, you are full of shit. You are wrong. I am telling you this. I am not an expert on this, but I, I, but I do have a unique vantage point in that this is the one area of the entire football world in which I've been focused for three years now trying to rationalize how we explain this without indicting anyone involved because of our personal, my personal politics on this or personal beliefs and, and that, that also sort of reflect and mirror my employers. We have been pilloried in the media for this. Most of it behind closed doors. I don't care. I'm right. We were right. Okay. And that I, I'm not here to, to beat my chest as a success because it doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever to watch this kid implode on national television. I don't care what university he played for, what team he goes to. I don't care. I don't care. That has nothing to do with it. What's the worst possible per, uh, personal preference I could have, Bill? A, a, a Bobby Petrino coach Louisville player going to play for the Saints? That actually happened, actually. Didn't the Saints draft somebody from Louisville? I, I don't I know. think they did. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, it has nothing to do with anything other than this culture, and it has to change, okay? And I know that this is going in one ear and out the other of some Michigan fan, and that's fine. That's fine. But this is so, going to happen again. This is going to happen, and this is, this is not... I think the saddest thing... The thing I'm saddest about, Bill, and then I'm just going to stop because I'm just... I'm rambling at this point. I'm striking at the air trying to hit a target that I don't even know exists because I don't know how to fix... On, on the, the total collective psyche of college football. I don't think it's possible. But this is going to happen again and nothing is going to change. And so, no, I don't feel justified. I don't feel right. I don't feel good about this. But guess what? I, we, we were so right. So, so, okay. So, A, this is like, well, I mean, this is like, you know, some kid getting K 
kicked off a team or something for Potter or getting suspended for a year or whatever in the NFL where, uh, you know, we have to watch our initial reaction of basically, well, that shouldn't be illegal or, you know, what, what you know, that you, you shouldn't get suspended for that. You know, in the end, whatever punishment Ole Miss gets here is going to be technically justified because they played the game. And even if everybody in the world plays the game by, by doing it yourself, you are opening up the opportunity for this exact thing to happen and for you to get caught for it. Um, like, you know, and, and that's, so, you know, they, you know, they're clearly not playing by the rules. And now that you have some weird soap opera situation arising, now they're going to probably get punished something for it. Now, I mean, it sounds like a lot of the, uh, you know, a good number of things were already known because the NCAA has already been investigating, but maybe specifically him taking specific money from coaches, uh, wasn't known and and they'll get dinged for that whatever um i think when we're talking about culture i mean well god this is maybe maybe we end up splitting this into its own damn podcast here because um i mean it's a really big topic but or we can just have a really long podcast i i i, <laughs> I kind of want to sit in this space on this show because we we value our listeners and and it's it's a nice island amidst the sea of frustration sometimes in the again in the culture and I'm not I, this is not an indictment on particular fan bases or, or kinds of fans or rednecks or any it, it's because it's everywhere it, it, yeah I see it at the very top of college football and power circles I see it at uh, you know with with ads and coaches who are full of shit and lie to themselves about stuff that's going on in their own programs while they indict others for the exact same sin um, this is just, just everywhere and so. Um, I, I, it is, it's nice and warm and cozy to sit here amongst the like-minded. And again, chances are, I'm assuming that you are. Um, but, uh, we, we'll have to go to war on this. We'll have to continue to do the work. We'll have to continue to take the criticism and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I made a lot of jokes on here that I wish it was some other school so I wouldn't have this bizarre conflict or accusation of conflict of interest. But you know what? I also know this program really well. And if you don't want to listen to me about partisanship, then, then, then don't, don't, don't question my knowledge. Um, because there's not a program in college football I know better. Uh, moving forward, I don't know what this does. Um, there are, I've had multiple people tell me that there's either an extension or going to be an isolated advancement, another, another investigation entirely coming from the NCAA. They're basically going to be living in Oxford for a little while longer, if not a lot longer. <laughs> They've already been there for close to two years. Um, I, I'm, I'm mincing here because I don't know exactly what I can say or let slip because we are working on stuff and, and we've got to jump through a lot of hoops on this one to try and best convey what we know without getting anyone in trouble, portraying confidence or information but i also want to stay loyal to you guys and 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 tell you that it's a it's a an even more tangled web the track record for the ncaa is not great i was asked um by a friend in the mississippi media this week do you think that Ole miss is being picked on and i said yes but not because they're Ole miss i do think something that you said at the very beginning bill i, I do think usurpers are frowned upon by everyone and I think that in Ole Miss, the NCAA um, initially saw a chance. When I say initially, I'm rounding the end of their first investigation as the Lindsey Miller Tunsil stuff blew up last summer, they saw a way to go from, oh, here's some secondary violations we're going to tack on and look like we're doing our job, to, oh, we've got a white whale. We've got, we've got one on the line. They have been in the process of, you know, 
a chess match with lawyers for the University of Mississippi um, <laughs> for the past year and change. And they, they saw in Ole Miss a chance to make the example that they failed so miserably at doing with Southern Cal, with Miami, with North Carolina, with, I mean, honestly, even Penn State. And a lot of people right now are talking about what kind of PR hit is Ole Miss going to take. I've been to Happy Valley multiple times in the last two years. There are PR cultures and then there are PR cultures. And I know for a fact that they use the most heinous stuff possible to recruit against Penn State. If you're going to tell me that some running backs coach from another SEC school is going to sit in your living room and say, you don't want to go to Ole Miss. Look at look how much trouble they're getting into for giving you money. Oh, wait, no. Uh, I've come <laughs> to our school. Uh, the, people around Oxford have told me, people around the program have told me they do expect to fall back a little bit on particular recruiting battles for the 17 class. But that's also, again, within perspective, that means that they could fall to somewhere in the 20s or, or at worst high 30s for one single recruiting class. They're also the, – the sort of consensus logic amongst people who did not know, because this is all still tied up with lawyers, was that they were going to take a scholarship hit over a period of years. They're under the number right now. So they could do one of two things. They could sign up as many as they could in December, and then brace for the penalties. It depends on how the penalties were going to be handed out. Or they could say, well, we've kind of already punished ourselves, so we'll go ahead and take the hit, stay under the scholarship number, and then we'll sign closer to a more normal number in the 17, 18, 19 classes. We don't know what's going to happen now, but that was, that was what they were planning on doing before. They will take a minor hit in recruiting, but they have a five-star quarterback that they have complemented quite nicely with a five-star left tackle. They are in the process right now of rebuilding that offense, and I say that as if Chad Kelly is not considered probably the best quarterback in the league entering, entering 2016. He's got one more year. So they've got a nice bridge set up on offense. It will get them on the lines because any kind of probation always gets a program on the lines. That's, there's, a, there's a PAPN topic for us, Bill. I mean, I, I think you see it on the lines because I, I had to pick apart Penn State's roster for a story this winter. And you saw it at, you saw it at Southern Cal that you kind of ended up with feast or famine where you had five-star guys and then like walk-ons behind them. I know it's happened at Miami and I know it's, it's uh, I think North Carolina, maybe TBD on the restrictions that they took, but you do, you, you see pro you see probation sanctions and scholarship limitations, all that usually hits your lines in your depth. So yeah. Are they going to take a hit for this? Yes. Is it going to destroy a program or reduce them to cinders overnight? No, it's not. I'm sorry, Starkville. It's not. If anything, if you're going to bet on a horse right now, and it's a, it's a two-horse race. Are you going to bet on the one that lost to all those other schools? Badly, I might add. And almost committed a federal crime in Miami? No. You're going to bet on this other school to dig in, to look you dead in the eye, and say, prove it. That's a hard PR move for them to take. Okay? Nobody really wants to do that. The people in power at Ole Miss don't really want to be the first university in human history to say, yeah, we cheat. Prove it. <laughs> My father worked in law enforcement his entire life. He still does, even as he's retired. When I got in trouble one time when I was 10 years old, he said, you know how I know you did it? I said, how, Dad? Because he would know. He said, because you said you can't prove it. That's an admission of guilt. <laughs> so it's not really good PR. There are people at every, every major university within an athletic program and just the school itself that just, just market. They brand. They do all that stuff that we make fun of. Right? Like when they win a big game and they send out those those little marketing packets to high school seniors and, and, and everyone has their stupid stats in July at the media days and they say, 
oh, you know, enrollment's up uh, X, X over Y since the football team got good. And, you know, we love the culture led by athletics at this university. So none of that is good for Ole Miss. It's not. But I also went to an Ole Miss that had to replace mascots, you know, uh, border on a few <laughs> race riots, burned a few flags, and had Confederates, had so much Confederate flag imagery when I was there in college in 2003 that you would have wiped your ass with it, not for a political statement, because it was as ubiquitous as toilet paper. So there have been bigger problems at Ole Miss. They just don't want to have to dig in, turn heel, and, and, and tell the world, prove it. And they're not going to come out of some sort of progressive moralizing institution championing the, the fact that the kids need rent money, even though they do. That's not going to happen either. That would be, that would be the, the most entertaining turn to take here. Yeah, we paid them. Everybody should pay them. Now, if that happens, that, that would... I'm in, and let me tell you for a fact, it is not going to happen. But no, no, happens, no, of course not. That is the sea change moment in college football. God, and, and Godfrey goes and orders eight uh, old Miss shirts to wear. I mean, if anything would ever endear me to the, to the university I paid to get a somewhat useless degree from, that would be it. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing here is that, you know, I, I hate being the type that says, well, everybody does it. So why are they going to get in trouble for it or, or even hint at that? Like, that's what I'm saying. Um, I, I hate the, the like the moralizing drives me absolutely crazy. That's the one part like, well, you, you guys cheated. We don't like all that. Yeah, come on. We need to at least agree to some sort of baseline uh, of fact here, because if we ever want like how, how is the quote unquote culture ever going to change if we can't even agree on what the culture is now? Um, and so the people who lie to themselves, who lie to others and, and who pretend that certain things aren't happening when they very, very clearly are, that helps nothing. Uh, and as somebody who, you know, I kind of wouldn't mind writing about college football for the rest of my career, uh, you know, a, a career that could go on for a while. I would love that. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to do that, I might as well like the sport that I'm talking about. And uh, this stuff, the, the moralizing is one of the things that makes me hate the sport more than anything else. And it's not just college football where this happens, obviously. It's not just college athletics where this happens. Um, but all the stuff, uh, you know, so the Ole Miss thing is, has pushed a lot of buttons for me, even though I will freely acknowledge that they cheated and now they're probably going to get caught for it or might get caught for it, depending on what they can prove. So... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's no, I, I just, I wish we could agree on certain things so that we can start to figure out what to do about it. And that's never, that, that might happen sometime in 2060s. I just don't know how much longer this can go. I don't know how much longer we can, we can keep going and everybody's kind of half lying to themselves or looking the other way. I don't think anybody, uh, I think the overwhelming majority of people involved in this world now from the PR reps at networks to the athletic directors and the fans that are encyclopedic in their knowledge and spend thousands of dollars a year to tailgate and attend games, I think everybody is looking the other way and rather than, than claiming or even feigning ignorance. There's just too much information out there now. So the question is, how much longer is this going to go? Is it, is it going to take... I, I guess, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for, the, right. for, for a labor force finally to just say, you know what? No. No, I would assume that the biggest thing is going to be a situation where a team refuses to play um, for this specific reason. Not like you know, not like Grambling three years ago where they they refused to play because they had no support from their school and they were being asked to like lift weights on a cre- on a floor that was making them injure themselves. Um, but I, I would assume that that's 
kind of where this goes. And, and that could happen any time between 2016 and like 2040, you know? Uh, and so that, that would probably be uh, the catalyst. But the thing is too, like there are so many different, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There are so many different things that could happen once we decide something has to happen. And it's kind of, it's, it's frustrating to, you know, then have to wait around. Like, when can we have that conversation? Because we have to sit around and wait for a catalyst instead. And instead we're just going to go, you know, act shocked that team is uh, paying one of its star players. Like that wasn't happening in the seventies or the, or the forties. We're going to still just pretend to be outraged by all that instead of figuring out what to do about it. So. I'm exhausted. I didn't even really get to Holland. Bill seen me where I, where I get. No, that. yeah, you, that, this was. I mean, that was barely above PG right there. Yeah. so well done. Bill, Bill has seen me in my most eloquent. Um, I, I if you have questions, ask the show. If you have questions, you can tweet, and email us. Um, I don't know what I can answer for you. We are doing our due diligence to best present the story in the manner in which we see fit. Um, I appreciate everyone's support in this, and uh, I hope we can come back next week play more box score bingo and me not have to to just sort of like barf up the, the the nasty guttural reaction I have to this situation. I'm not This has been a, this has been a good off season for me to be writing this book that I'm writing because it's it's fun storytelling and part of it's cynical too like discovering like everything that I've been writing about for this 47 Notre Dame and all that. Um so there's a certain depressing realization that comes with that where, you know, Oh, Hey, we were having the same arguments then and they really haven't gone anywhere in 70 years. So what makes, you know, that you can go down that depressing line, but at the same time, it's fun to, I, I have a reason to talk about fun things. And if I didn't this off season, like every, it seems like every off season, every progressive off season gets more annoying to talk about. I really don't know um, what, like I haven't had a good fun thing in, in college football. And this is just, now we're getting into deleted scene guy whines about his job crap. And I apologize because but I have a people job who are listening people to this, cut arms off for, but like, I, I know, but people who are listening to this are fans who probably are sort of experiencing the same thing. So I just need, I need to like, we hit this Valley now where it used to be that we would get exhausted by the, the, the financial stuff on the, on realignment. Like people would, Oh God, we should be talking about football. We get into this moral bankruptcy and this, mush mouth two-faced bullshit I, I it, it makes it really hard for me to think like someone posted the other day it's x amount of days until the season and i just thought oh my god that's like i feel like you just announced an execution date yeah that's actually that's the perfect illustration like back in like you know, so i started uh, full-time in 2011 and i remember when i was well even like 2012 13 when i was reading writing that first book i was talking about the camaraderie we all had and like counting down to the beginning of the season that was three four years ago and uh, yeah, now I have the same reaction. Like, oh, how cute! You're you're excited that we're only X weeks from the season. Ugh. We we get we get cynical in our old in our old age. Look, if you, but I just, I just want to say this: we we're all going to push through this. And if you're a fan and you can't wait for, well, th- throw me a good week one game, Bill. Oh God, I'm blanking. Uh, Alabama USC. Yeah, if you if you can't wait for that, I I will I will get there with you. I promise, and we will provide the best in, amount of information insight we can. I am just in a meandering funk right now, dealing with this kind of crap. Only because, not because of a guy, not because it involves any one school or another, not because of money, just because nothing is going to change. 
You know, you, Nashville's only six hours away from, from Columbia. You can drive on down. We can have a drink tonight if you want. You know, if, if I come all the way up there, it's going to be more than one drink or just one really big one, as, as police officers always joke about. <laughs> How many beers did you have tonight? Just one. How big was it? All right. Um, so we're going to start building a little bit more structure into the show. I want to sign off every week by reminding you we are a football <laughs> podcast on SB Nation. We are not the only football podcast on SB Nation. So if by some strange uh, chance you've stumbled on the podcast and played nobody as your first podcast experience with SB Nation, please check out all of our partners. Um, really what we consider to be sort of the flagship podcast, which is the Solid Verbal with Dan Rivestein and Ty Hildebrandt. Um, uh, the gaggle of idiots, some of which are in charge of our careers over at Shutdown Fullback. Um, I really know, I'm just going to go for the description on that one, I'm just going to say null set. Um, as well as, um, let's see, the uh, onside family kickoff hour, I think, is still going at the NFL side. We are uh, in the process of building up a ton of college football prod- podcasts with information. Check out, oh, Bud Elliott now has a specific recruiting podcast. You can search iTunes, and um, I think he's got SoundCloud up on that as well. So, if you want the absolute best information on national college football recruiting year-round, either you get excited or, you, or your skin crawls at that, uh, Bud Elliott is 100% your guy. So uh, feel free to check out those podcasts. We'll be back next week. I don't. If people are asking about the Google Play Store, I don't know. Father Bill, I love you. We'll see you I next week. I don't know. Father Ty. Yeah, Father, Father Ty Hildenbrand. It's his job. We'll see you next week. <laughs>